Hallelujah. John chapter 3. I'm reading from verse 1. And he says this. John 3, 1 again. He says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. A member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. He did not say, Rabbi, I know. He did not. He did not say, Rabbi, I know that you are a teacher come from God. He was non-committal. Did not commit himself. That teaches me a lot. Of, why did he say like this? But even Jesus understood when he hears that he knows, oh, this man is sent. Meaning, we have been watching. Meaning, I have been sent to ask you. We know there must have been an observing there going on. Observing and talking. Say, you know the cripple that sits by the water? <laughs> he reached there and the cripple walked. They were following the chronology, the development, the way the Lord operates is this. Whether you like it or not, if you turn left, you hear it. Turn right, you hear it. Look forward, hear it. Turn back, hear it. All directions. So you see, they heard. So they had to follow. But now listen to this. He did not say, I know. Say, we know. I want to begin on that one now. Why did Nicodemus say, we know? Why didn't he just come and say, Lord, I know. He was totally uncommitted. He did not commit himself. Sometimes, when you commit yourself, you are gone. You are gone. You have cut your ribbon. It's done. Let me go there under this group protection. Let me go under this group protection. If things go bad, I still go back the other side. That is just human nature uncommitted sometimes we don't commit because of fear of hostilities oh yes meaning I am not the one uh, saying it we we it is something we have agreed because there are big questions in the bible sometimes they ask you 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 you're talking like that are you a follower of this man say, no I'm not you see sometimes there are those questions in the bible so you can understand what was, again, also informing Nicodemus' approach. He was not committed. We know. Rabbi, we know. He was non-committal. He was representing the Pharisees. Hey, we. He was essentially sent. John chapter 12. Hallelujah. We have now pulled out one specific statement. Where say, Rabbi, we know. That's where we are focused on. And I said, let's go to John chapter 12 and see what is it that instructed Nicodemus to speak that way. John chapter 12, verses 40 to 43. John chapter 12, verse 40 to 43. So you may understand what was ongoing. It was a deep conversation. This was a critic, a scholar, a professor of law was engaging the Lord. And you know how deep the Lord can get. So they were engaging each other. John 12, verse 40, 43. Why did he say, Rabbi, we know. He says, He has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes 
not understand with their hearts. No tongue and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Verse 42. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not commit, they would not confess their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved to be praised the praises of man more than the praise of God. Why did not go all full and say, Lord, I recognize you. He said, Rabbi, we know. We know. Enjoying group protection. Why? He says, first of all, in his coming, when Isaiah saw him coming, he had blinded them. First of all, let me walk with you step by step. He blinded them. He would blind them with his wisdom. He would come when they saw the glory, he would blind them. But listen to what he says. Even in that blinding of them, meaning that hostility, blinded, hostile. The ones who were blinded were the resistant ones. Resistant and hostile. But he says, even in that, the Jewish rulers, some of them recognized him. Recognized him. Some of them recognized him. And he says, however, for fear of reprisal, for fear of revenge, eh? and he said that the biggest fear they had is that they will be thrown out of the synagogue. Step by step. Because in the synagogue, that is where the Jewish life revolved. It revolved around the synagogue. They did not only go to worship. You went there to know what's happening, what's the news. Because people sat out and fellowship said, Oh, on this side, so and so is wedding. On this side, what? That is where they sat and fellowshiped. So your life was tied to the synagogue. And if there was anything you were going to do that would cut you off, delete you, disconnect you, disqualify you from fellowship at the synagogue, you would say, ah, let it be. Because your life revolved around the synagogue. News there. Worship there. If they throw you out, where will you worship? And worship is life. So did you understand what he was saying? But now, in his conversation here, he gives two classes. He's saying that even as there was hostility towards Jesus, there was a split. Some of them recognized him secretly and they knew he is the one. He is the messenger. And yet, they feared to say, Rabbi, I know. They feared to openly confess for fear of reprisal, to be thrown out. You see that? Oh yes, they feared. Rabbi, we know 
not I know. We know that your teacher come from God. Can we look at the second reason why he said so? John chapter 9 verse 22. John 9 22. If you are at home, you can read 13 onwards. But uh, let me just read 9 22. Then I will explain some things. John 9 22 I'm reading. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. Do you understand the fear Nicodemus had? But can I read a little further and then explain to you? There was an investigation that went on. <laughs> an investigation took place. He said, huh? verse 6 says, Having said this, his spit on the ground made some mud with his saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent, the pool of scent. So the man went and washed and he came home seeing. <laughs> and he says, verse 10, How then were your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus <laughs> made some mud and put it on my eyes and he told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. <laughs> he says, where is this man? They asked. I don't know. He said. Verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Shabbat. In Israel they say, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. When it comes Shabbat, everything, even the radio worship in Israel, everything goes down. The beat goes down. Even the radio, everything. In fact, not only that, you don't see people. You don't see people. People have disappeared. That Friday afternoon, Friday evening when the sun is going down now and when you go down the streets, you see everybody now is crossing with their Torah. They are crossing the streets to the synagogue. White shirt, black trouser, strings here with a cap. Everything goes slow. You have to cook everything before. And then on Shabbat, you just leave the candles warming. You cannot even light the stove. Did you understand the breaking of the law that was happening here by the Lord? Jesus was breaking their law. And that's why they investigate this. They said the day on which he did this was Shabbat. And he says, it was the Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes. The man replied, and I washed and now I see very powerful because that is the same thing he said there the Pharisees heard what he was saying to people there Say, okay you tell us how come you can see he, he put mud on my eyes you can imagine he was still in shock he was still in shock at what had just happened he's not even saying the Lord or oh, Jesus he start and he put mud in my eyes and now I see he said it here and you can imagine the anger you can imagine the anger. Are you repeating that thing you said there here? As in, you men, 
What can I do to you? Eh? Are you coming to glorify that man here? We heard you have been saying it all over there. And when you come here, tell us what happened. He put mud on my eyes and I could see. see. <laughs> and he says, he put mud on my eyes. The man replied, and I washed and now I see. Verse 16. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Shabbat. And then he says this. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? Did you understand? Why I said they were split in two. Why? Because the standards of God, all people know. So, even among the rulers, there were those who recognized him. But they feared abuse. They would be abused by the others. Reprisal. Excommunication. Termination. Deletion. Chasing. Sucking. Throwing out. Rejection. Rejection. Can we move on? And then he says here. So they were divided. Verse 17. Finally they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, Oh, he's a prophet. <laughs> you understand? He was adding insult, garlic and pepper, unto injury. And lemon. Hallelujah. He said, Oh, he is a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was blind, was born blind? How is it that now he can see? This is now what besmirched the devil. Because now the parents, because the parents have been asked. You know, when you ask, you have to answer. So now look at the answer. This is what finished the enemy. Look at the answer of the parents. We know he is our son. <laughs> that is powerful because now we know him. It is true, this is him. His parents said, We know he is our son. The parents answered. And number two, the second evidentiary is that, and we know he was born blind. Now listen to this. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. And he goes on to say, his parents said this for fear of excommunication. Did you understand? Oh yes. Oh yes. I want you to understand the engagement that Nicodemus was having with the Lord. You must teach this to the church. This is the deep word. This is the deep word. You cannot just teach superficial. And guess what? Some of you have been around churches teaching Nicodemo, Nicodemo, Nicodemo. But this is now different, this one. Oh yes, it has to be. In keeping with the time. Now you understand why I say, Rabbi, we know. He's now bringing the entire picture of those 
whoever confessed him. And he goes on to say this. Ask him, he is of age. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God. <laughs> you understand the way they summoned him? It's very powerful. When I, I could see the anger, they said, call him back here. Because by the time you're engaging somebody here, he's giving it to another person there. Because it's a panic, it's a shock. You can now see. Hmm? He's already gathered some five, ten people again there. So call him back. <laughs> and then they say, Hey, give glory to God. You see, meaning almost sarcastic. You see that? So they said, second time, say, give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, that I don't know. But one thing I know is I was blind, but now Hallelujah. He says, but the one thing I know, for me, I don't know about the other, but for me, I was blind and stranded. But now, because of this man, I can see clearly. This is the conversation with Nicodemus. Very full page. They investigated him. This is the conversation with Nicodemo. He was very deep. You asked him, what do you think about him? That guy, he must be a powerful prophet. Yeah, because how could I be blind and stranded? Now I see. So that is very powerful. But that kind of thing informed the way Nicodemo engaged with the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, out of that, the book of Acts chapter 10 verse 38. The book of Acts 10.38. As a result of that. Acts chapter 10.38. Hallelujah. And he says here. Verse 37. You know what has happened throughout Judea. Beginning in Galilee. After the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. With the Holy Spirit. And power. And how he went around. Doing good. And healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Did you understand what informed that conversation? It is very powerful to understand that even as they did their thing here, Sanhedrin, Pop Class, Ivory Towers, Echelons of Power, Teachers of Law, Professors, Critics, Analysts, Commentators, they can comment on the law a bit. If you need a comment, an opinion piece, you ask them. Even as they did this, they were aware of the benchmarks, the standards of the anointing of God. That if somebody was anointed, they knew that one is with God. That one is from God. That is God. Did you understand that? Can we move it further to Isaiah? Before we go to Isaiah, John chapter 2, verse 25. Still on the same. We are talking about, I just pulled out a piece that said, Rabbi, we know 
We know that you are a teacher come from God. For nobody can do the things you are doing except God be with him. I just pulled out only that segment. And you see how deep he's getting. John chapter 2.25 And he says, He did not need man's testimony about man. For he knew what was in a man. Listen. Rabbi, we know, we know that you are a teacher come from God. What say ye? Sweet words. Good words. Pampering him. Wrist patting. Back patting. Back scratching. Back rubbing. He says, it will not even matter. How good you talk to me. About my anointing. About my miracles, my power. But what matters is one thing. Unless a man be born again, he cannot see. <laughs> he did not need all this. He did not need. <laughs> I have taught all over the earth a message, one of the series inside that message said, Seek not the approval of man, but of God. Did you understand here? Can we proceed to Isaiah? Because there are bigger things. Why Nicodemus Rabbi we know. Isaiah 61. They knew. Isaiah 61. Verses 1 to 3. He says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the favor of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and provide for those who grieve. In Zion, to bestow to them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, and the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. They will be called the oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. Can I explain? Jesus went to the temple, picked the book of Isaiah, and read this. I just want to mention that in passing. But now listen to this. When the Pharisees were teaching this, they always read from Isaiah. Also. So, what am I saying? They knew what the Bible said about the anointed one. Did you understand? I am just talking about what informed Nicodemus coming and talking in this order. Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God because the miracles are right. The healings are right. The power is correct. The anointing is right. The word is straight. We know you cannot do these things except you have come from God and is with you. So they knew this scripture. Do you understand what was informing Nicodemus' conversation here? Oh yeah, this is very powerful. That's why they were able to say, oh, that's him. Oh, that's him. Wow, he has already come. The Bible is clear. Please, let us read the Bible. Because the Bible gives things. Huh? But the fear is 
when you think it is you and you are going all over the earth and then all of a sudden you look and see so that is him then refusal rejection but inside you, you know inside you because the hallmarks the stripes the stripes were put in the bible that the stripes would be like this they knew but they refused to recognize but anyhow i told you there were two subgroups even earlier on we read where they became divided into two now because of that some believed and they said me i'll just keep this to myself but you know what i will not touch that man because actually i think he's from god you see that i know he's from god whatever so that was the situation they read they knew he would come they knew what the stripes would look like can we move on luke chapter 4 verses 18 to 21 same thing as i move on now luke chapter 4 18 to 21 can we read that in passing so i can focus on other things hallelujah luke chapter 4 18 21 what does he say he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Same thing. The next subtopic. I said already that when the Lord answered him, he answered him that unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I say that answer did not come from what you heard. The physical sound you heard from what Nicodemus said. But that answer essentially came from Jesus reading his thought process, his heart. Jesus being pre-informed about what they teach, what they say, what they are, who they are. I said that already. So now I pulled out a segment where he said, unless a man be born again, now I'm focusing on that segment. The other one was, Rabbi, we know. Now I pulled out a new segment. Unless a man say, why did Jesus say so to him? That unless a man be born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. Let him forget it. He will not enter. He will not. What made the Lord say so? So now I'm taking that segment of the statement and trying to go down the list. Some of the things I prepared. And it says here very clearly that he was essentially talking about two phases of man's life. I've mentioned that before. He said, all that until now. And then the ushering in of the new window, which I call the window of restoration, the window of grace, the window of rebirth, the window of resuscitation, revival, renewal, resurrection, <laughs> many, everything. And the other thing that Jesus brings very clearly to Nicodemo in that conversation, I took you already to Genesis 3, the fall. And I said, it was as though the Lord Jesus was asking, How come you don't know? And yet you are the teacher of the law. How come know ye not? How know ye not that there was a fall? Did you understand? And so out of that, I prepared this for you. Essentially, the Lord Jesus was saying that there was a rebellion. There was a rebellion. And he was saying also that there is the timeline of God. Meaning, 
all things going on and the time comes when the Lord says from here now begins the new clock new beginning new birth new life I am going also to handle the new creation I have a whole segment of the new creation about the new creation and so I said number one he was alluding to the rebellion that has to take place for him to come number two he was talking about there must be a timeline of God. A point at which the Lord says, here I bring him. Number three, I said, he was essentially saying, this window of grace, this wind I'm opening, is actually the opening in heaven. Heaven has to open. The awful silence has to come to an end. Rebuilding has to begin. Restoration has to begin from a place. That now that's the opening of the window. He says, there must be an opening. He said, there must be a rebellion for me to come. And he says, there must be God's timeline that defines the fullness of time of my coming. And he also talks now about this window of restoration. There must be an opening in heaven for God to commune. For God to communicate, there must be a channel open for me to be here. In other words, heaven is open now for this. And he was saying, his coming was essentially, because say, what say ye? We know you are from him. Why have you come? He said, my coming is to talk about redemption. 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 And he was saying that in this redemption, I have brought the doctrine of rebirth, meaning the doctrine of sanctification. In other words, now that transforms the conversation. It becomes, unless a man be sanctified, he will not enter. So he was saying, I am bringing the gospel of sanctification. He said, I have brought the doctrine of sanctification. In other words, you can even rephrase the answer. That I have come to say unto thee, that unless a man be sanctified, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He was saying essentially to Nicodemus, of sin I have brought the gospel of freedom from the terror of sin, from the wounds of sin in other words you are saying I know you are the teachers of the law but I come that I may say unto thee that I brought the gospel of freedom from the condemnation of the law the same law you preach I think it was really a contestation to some point it was a conflict. Because now these are professors of law and they are saying, I have come to annul the law. To cancel it. In fact, I am saying there is a new law in town. That's what he was saying. That the practice has to change. People have to go back to law school. Now, that brings me to a place where I can now expand. And so, you see from that answer and that engagement with Nicodemus, the things I was jumping ahead of, now I am bringing back. In greater detail. So you could see that the Lord Jesus was saying, I am aware you are Pharisees. And what you teach, I know. I know that among the things you teach, there are two areas you teach. You teach about the manner that your forefathers, the people that are related to you by blood, ate directly from the throne room, ate on a daily basis. You teach that and use it for justification. Manner. 
the gospel of manna from heaven. And he was saying number two, I also know that you teach about the cloud, that they walked under the cloud. But I say this unto thee, how come, how come you don't know that when they walked with God in the wilderness, it was me that was being saved. That behold, God would come down and once more walk with man, Emmanuel, saying that the tabernacle, the dwelling of God, is now man. Let's go into the scriptures. I have mentioned the two, the two doctrines. The manna from heaven and the cloud. So let's move on. Let us look at the following. Let us look at the gospel of manna. Exodus 16. I am asking one thing. My question has not changed. Remember we've gone around but the question is the same. When he said, Hey, I say unto thee, Unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What was that? What information was that? What informed that? You know, there was, Rabbi, we know. I finished with that. Now, I am on this. I don't want you to lose focus. This is where I am. Unless a man be born again, he will not see it. That's where we are. And now you see, I have brought it all the way down. Say, what did he mean by that? And I said, he meant redemption. The window has come. The wounds of sin no more. The grace is here. Whatever. I put down those things. And now, I have narrowed down to the fact that that answer also speaks about the information he had that made his forerunner encounter them saying, we are children of Abraham. They were talking about the bread, the manna that their forefathers ate. Meaning they related directly with God. They ate direct from his hands. From heaven on a daily basis. Physical food. And then the cloud. So can we focus on manna now? Still within the same context. Same message. Unless a man be born again. So now, Exodus 16. What did he say? And we cannot read all, but if you read for home, for home, Exodus 16, 13 to 35. But for now, we'll just read short from 13. Hallelujah. Exodus 16 from verse 13. He says, That evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. Verse 14. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. Verse 15. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is this? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. <laughs> Each one is to gather as much as he needs and take an omer for each person you have in the tent. The Israelites did as they were told. It went on. So, I have begun now to talk about this doctrine. What is this that made the Lord answer him that way? He knew they were teaching this. 
that it came, but I've taken you a little bit to the Genesis, the beginning of this. The quail dew, there you go. They asked, what is this? Say, uh-uh. Listen, this is bread from God. And then, as you go down, now I want to go to 32 and 35. Eh? 32 35. So you can read the whole thing as you teach, but now, because of time, I've introduced 32 and 35, right? So we may be able to explain this. 32 to 36. The same 16. 32. It says, Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come. So they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the desert when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it. Then place it before the Lord to be kept for generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna in front of the testimony that it might be kept. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. An omer is a tenth of an ephan. But can I explain this now? This is powerful. This doctrine is very powerful. This is what they told. And I'm saying, what informed Jesus to give that answer? Hey, I say this unto thee, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He will not. So now, we have gone deep to understand why did the Lord say this? And now we've seen quite a bit, but now we have entered the two teachings that informed his saying. Because there was a disconnect from what Nicodemus was saying and the answer he gave. So it means he knew the heart, the thought, he knew him. And now we have entered the manner they taught. How does that make Jesus say this? Because we have found out that this was a very powerful thing. That their forefathers ate manna. That was very powerful. To the extent that as they ate, and he said, on a daily basis, take only what you need for today, except on the sixth day. When you have to take double, even for Shabbat. Because Shabbat, you cannot pick manna. Will not be there. But on the other days, take only what you need for today. If you pick double, it will rot. Maggots. Smell. Are you seeing this? So we are seeing that as he did that, he said, go and take it. Take it for this day. Fresh. Fresh manna every day. Except Shabbat. On the eve to Shabbat. Now listen to this now. Now we also find something else which is important. He's saying the Lord saw that this was happening. There was a relationship. He was now feeding them direct from the upper chambers of the treasure rooms in heaven. And then he says this. He says, because this has kept them very well, 40 years, as a symbol of my sustenance on them. Now do the following. It will not rot. Don't worry. Take a jar of manna and take it and put it within the earth of the testimony. 
from generation to generation. When they see, they will remember. Listen to this now. He's saying that when they will see, they will remember. So, the manner that they were teaching was actually the covenant they were teaching. He's saying the manner. As that manner was now placed in where? The ark of the testimony. The ark of covenant. They place the article of covenant. The physical embodiment of the covenant of God with Israel. Can you imagine that? The physical can touch. This is it what represents the covenant. He says now, the manna is part of the covenant. Wow. No wonder they taught it faithfully straight for many years. Oh yes. You need to know this. This is the gospel of Jesus. Oh yes. Because you see, now he is coming to talk to them. But let's first pull it from where it started. Because manna was important. So our forefathers ate direct manna from heaven. Look, the ark of the testimony. It is there. The jar of manna. I'm going to read it right now. So, the covenant. The covenant they had with the God of Israel had the manna as part of it. Testimony. So, this was put in the ark of the covenant of the Lord. That's very powerful. So it was part of the covenant. So they had to respect it. That's why no wonder they taught it. And he didn't knew they taught it. That's why he answered him like this. Hallelujah. The next step. Read with me. Turn with me. Hebrews chapter 9. Verses 1 to 10. Now he says. Hebrews chapter 9 from verse 1 to 10. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. And he says, A tabernacle was set up, full stop, in his first room where the lampstand, the table, and the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Verse 3. Behind the curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had golden altar of incense and the gold covered ark of the covenant this ark contained the gold jar of manna ah do you understand even the arrangement of the articles of worship factored in manna manna was arranged it had to be in the right place for worship to take place Powerful part of the articles, yes. Mana, by the way, which spoke about that very powerful link communication, portal feeding on a perpetual daily basis. Now, that's very miraculous. Hallelujah. And he goes on to say, This ark contained the gold jar of mana. Aaron's staff that had budded and the stone tablet of the covenant. Verse 5. Above the ark was the cherubim of glory. Where the cherubim of glory overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail. When everything had been arranged like this, meaning the manna is also there in that place. The priest entered regularly 
into the outer room to carry out his normal ministry, duty. To carry out their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room and that only once a year and never without blood which he offered for himself and for the sin the people had committed out of ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still standing, meaning in place. Verse 9. This is an illustration for the present time indicating that the gifts and the sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshipper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings. External regulations applying until the time of the new window of restoration. Window of new order. So that's why the doctrine of manna was ingrained in their teachings, in their messages, in their preaching, in their ministry and practice, in their lives. And so, the Lord is saying in that answer, unless a man be born Again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In that answer, the Lord is saying, Can I first read it? Let's first go to Exodus 25 22. Exodus 25 22. Hallelujah. There above the cover, between the cherubim that were over the ark of the testimony, I will meet with you and give you all my commands. For the Israelites. Now you understand. They took manna. And placed it there. As a command. A requirement. To be part of the articles of worship. Meaning. Ingrained. Incorporated. Into the covenant. That observed. Right. Can we move from there now. And then he says this. With everything well arranged. The manna in place. Everything else. Then he said, I shall always come and meet you there. Huh? You see how powerful their doctrine of manna was. It was essentially the definition of their covenant of worship. Covenant with Jehovah. You cannot take it away. And here was now one trying to take it away. Jesus was aware of this teaching here. He's saying that the manna had to be in place. And with the manna in place, among other articles of worship, when that arrangement of articles had achieved its perfectness, then he said, then I shall always come and meet you on the mercy seat. Oh, that's very powerful. So, you almost realize that you can't take it away. So, Jesus knew these things. I am just informing you, educating you on why Jesus replied the way he did. So, now you see the background factor. Now, not only is it part of the covenant of worship, but part of 
salvation. So, really, there is no way you can take it away. He knew that. He had to approach them on this matter. And he says here, Exodus 27, verses 20, 21, as I finish, and then now bring you back. I'm still just talking about what informed the answer. You understand? Exodus 27, 20 to 21. And my target is 21. Hallelujah. Exodus 27, verses 20 to 21. 21 is my target. But he says, Command the Israelites to bring to you clear oil or pressed olives for the light so that the lamps may be kept burning. In the tent of meeting, outside the curtain that is in front of the testimony, Aaron and his sons are to keep the lamps burning before the Lord from evening till morning. This is to be a lasting ordinance among the Israelites from generation to generation. What is the message here? He's saying, as the instruction came for Aaron to keep the lamp burning. Then he says, to keep it burning before the Lord. Oh, this is powerful. The Lord is here. So that means, when he instructed the manna to be in place, it had to be in place before the Lord. I had to mention that. That you may know how deeply entrenched they were into this. Before the Lord came to change order, change the law. You want to appreciate the gravity of this conversation. No wonder it had to take place in the night when there was enough time to engage each other, to do it back and forth. Hallelujah. But listen to this now. The doctrine of manna that they preached that informed the answer. Now, I finish the book of Numbers and then I bring you now to a new session of eat manna. Of current and now. First of all, the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 10 verses 33-36. And he says, So they set out from the mountain of the Lord and traveled for three days. The earth of the covenant of the Lord went before them during those three days to find them a place to rest. How can you change it? When it is this embedded in their lives, entrenched, the ark of God always, that is just how significant the arrangements therein were, went ahead to lead them. <laughs> and now you want to change. There is going to be a Now you understand why there was a conflict with the forerunner, right? Oh yes, it's obvious now. It's obvious. There had to be a fight. It was ugly fight. To the extent he said, you, you broods of snakes. Eh? Oh yes, meaning children of Satan. Oh yes. Can I move on? So, so he's saying this. And he's saying, 33 on. And he, say, he, he continues on to say, huh? uh, to find them a place to rest. 34. The cloud of the Lord was over them by day. And when they set out from the camp, Rather by day, when they set out from the camp. Verse 35, he says, Whenever the ark set out, Moses said, Rise up, O Lord! May your enemies be scattered! May your foes 
flee before you. Verse 36. Whenever it came to rest, he said, Return, O Lord, to the countless thousands of the Israelites. Did you understand the significance of the doctrine of manna? He said, when the manna was in there, plus the other articles, all things were right. He led them to the extent Moses said, when the ark was ahead, even at one point when they were involved in a fight, when they took the ark of the covenant to the battle line, they always won the battle. Unless something was wrong in the relationship, right? But otherwise, I'm, I'm focusing on this part. They always won the battle. Forget about the illustration. I'm talking about the normal. All things right, arranged right. When the earth was taken, first of all, you can just see the earth led them. And you say now you are coming to change it and remove some things, rearrange things. Change nomenclature. Change the naming of things. And they are used to this from their forefathers. So, when the earth is in front, they were led. To the extent that Moses said, Lord, let your enemies scatter. The earth was the physical representation of God. I want you to appreciate what Jesus knew. Because you know, this is a professor of law, a scholar. He's a critique. He's an analyst. You can ask him to give an opinion live on TV. Can you give us your mind on this matter? He knows which parts of law is exempt when for what. So he needed time at night. So the manna became part of the covenant. And guess what? The ark of the covenant was actually God leading them. I can say, when he took me to the throne room, and then the golden walkway, and then the most holy place, and then the two cherubic came heads like this, with staves, and they were walking like this, you know, with the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the new covenant, and placed it at that very central place, very special place. Of course, behind I saw the river and the tree, the river of life and everything that was flowing all the way down. But the issue is this here. That's the time the Lord was calling me. Then, the cloud came after the ark of the covenant had been put. Of course, there was he that was informing me here because I asked him why, so I could engage with him. Why, why are they walking like that with their heads bowed down, carrying the, the staves of the ark of God? And he said, because the place is most holy. But anyway, look at this. After they placed there, and then the cherubi, when I'm facing like this, the one on the right hand side, they have two different roles the two cherubi of glory. They may look the same, but the role is different. Then he came this way, he peeled the section, the scripture is written on the chest of the Ark of the Covenant. A scripture the Lord has never, ever allowed me to preach. Whole earth until today. Never, I have not even released to any human being. And he peeled the chest and then the scripture that was embossed on it is written on it. But anyway, the issue is this. Then the cloud of his glory came. And sat on the mercy seat. Wow! Now I understand when they say that the Ark of the Covenant was God.
God himself. And after that, of course, when the cloud sat there, and then he did something there which I've never shared, I will never share unless he will allow me. But I think it's a little bit too deep. And then he spoke by voice from there, from that cloud. There, just one on one now. Almost, I think it's about two meters from here. Then he spoke with me about the instruction and everything else. But the issue is, now I understand when they said the Ark of the Covenant was God himself. 